as I said, we continue in our series in Mark in chapter 13. Uh, we're going to uh, read the first half of the chapter this week and the next half next week. Um, so let's give our attention uh, to God's perfect word. Mark 13, verse 1. And as he came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. And Jesus said to him, Do you see these great buildings? There will not be left there one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, and John, and Andrew asked him privately, tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when all things are about to be accomplished? And Jesus began to say to them, see that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name saying, I am he, and they will lead many astray. And when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. But these are but the beginning of the birth pains. But be on your guard, for they will deliver you over to councils, and you will be beaten in synagogues. You will stand before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them. And the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. And when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand what you are to say. But say whatever is given you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. And brother will deliver deliver brother over to death. And the father's child and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you'll be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. But when you see the abomination of desolation standing where it ought not to be, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the the housetop not go down, nor enter his house to take anything out. And let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that it may not happen in winter. For in those days, there will be such tribulation as has not been from the beginning of the creation that God created until now and never will be. And if the Lord had not cut short the days, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect whom he chose, he shortened the days. And then if anyone says to you, look, Here's the Christ, or look, there he is. Do not believe it, for false Christs and false prophets will rise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. But be on your guard. I have told you all things beforehand. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to this difficult passage, but we know that you have purpose today for it. And so, Lord, I pray that you would accomplish that purpose through me, your weak servant, for their good. Lord, please um, enable me uh, to speak nothing more, nothing less than what's here. Make it understandable. And Lord, I pray for their hearts. You give them soft hearts, good soil, to receive this word planted. We pray in the name of Christ. Amen. Amen. Well, last summer... Uh, Lori and I and um, Brandon and Annalee, I uh, got to go to an escape room. I don't know if you've ever been to those. 
I mean, it's, it's a novel thing. You pay good money to get locked in a room and then you try to escape in an hour. It's quite a strange thing. Oh, but it's, it's fun. There's all these puzzles you're trying to solve. And I mean, of course, the whole time you know, when it's over, he's going to unlock the door, right? Even if you can't figure it out, you're going to get out. Now, I want you to contrast that, which is a fun experience. We had, we had a great time doing it. Um, with actually being kidnapped and trying to escape for your life. That would be a very different experience, wouldn't it? Right? You, similar that you're trapped and you're trying to escape, but different because one is a game and one is not a game. You see, the passage we read today, uh, many approach it like an escape room. Like it's this fun puzzle we're going to solve, and it's, you, know, it's, you have charts and graphs and all these things, you try to figure things out, but it's not intended for that. It's actually intended for people who are greatly suffering, that they would be comforted. More like someone who's kidnapped than in an escape room. I hope you see that contrast. And so as you approach this passage today, please understand what it is there for. It is not just for our fun and our entertainment. Now, another thing to say up front is um, uh, many people come to this, actually this specific passage, with very preconceived notions. So I have a request for you. If you would um, dispel those preconceived notions and just give me the chance to explain the passage in context, that's the key, and see if it doesn't stand up on its own. See if what I'm saying, the interpretation of it, in the context of the passage, won't stand up. So if you come with a lot of already ideas about stuff, please give it a chance. There's another thing about this. Um, there's two great risks in life. One is being unprepared for suffering, and then the other is to despair when it comes. To be unprepared and then to despair. Because remember, this is a context of great, great suffering that we're looking at. We become so comfortable that we forget this isn't our home. You won't be here forever, which is good news, particularly if you're really suffering and severe suffering. Um, and then the other is, you know, that when it comes, we just, it's so easy to despair, um, to be disillusioned. And so it'll happen at some point. And so this is a great passage to prepare us for that. Um, also look at the context of this. Look at the first two verses. In order to understand how we're going to break this down, look at verse 1 and 2 again. It says, they come out of the temple. He cleared it. He came back into it. They questioned his authority. He taught. Now he's leaving. And they're walking out, and they just make an observation. Look at these wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. Just an innocent observation. Well, look what Jesus says. says to them, You see these great buildings? There will not be left there one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. They're like, really, Jesus? We can't even just say like some simple compliment without you being all Debbie Downer on us, right? But this is what we have. So in order to understand this passage, look at verse four. That just happened. They walked out, they walk across to the Mount of Olives, looking opposite the temple, and they ask him, look verse four. Two questions, there's two questions in verse four. Tell us, when will these things be? What things? The things they just said. They complimented the stones. And he said, it's all going to be torn down. Okay, when will those things be? And there's a second part. <clears throat> what will be the sign when all these things were about to be accomplished? One nice thing is we have accounts of gospel stories several times, right, in the different gospels. So let me read you that same verse from Matthew's account. In Matthew 24, it's the, the two questions are even clearer. He says, this is 24.3, and he sat on the Mount of Olives. The disciples came to him privately saying, tell us when will all these things be, or when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming 
and at the end of the age. It's even more clear, isn't it? One is, when is the temple going to be destroyed? And then two, when are you coming back? Now, see, they don't have a clear picture that there's going to be a huge gap between those. We know now, one happened in 70 AD, and we're 2,000 years later, and we still don't know, right? But there's two questions. So, in order to understand this passage, you have to realize he's answering those. In this whole chapter, he bounces back and forth about answering one or the other. There's no doubt, this is a difficult chapter. And so, as I said, we're splitting it in half. We're only going to tackle half this week and the other half next week. Several historical events already alluded to. Do you remember when this is? This is Passion Week, Tuesday. So it's Tuesday afternoon on Passion Week. What's happening in three days? What happens in, kids, what happens on Good Friday? Jesus is going to die, right? So three days later, this is just a, I mean, likely just a beautiful Tuesday afternoon, a pretty sky, beautiful temple they're talking. Jesus knows in three days he will be executed. Everything is going to change. 40 years later, the whole temple, everything's going to be destroyed. Jerusalem is, is going to be sacked. And then fast forward another 2,000 years plus, he's coming back, right? And so you have these three events in view. Okay, here's where you need your pens. Jesus is setting our expectations in these two ways. This is only seven words. It's not hard. One, endure to the end. Okay, that's point one. Endure to the end, verses five through 13. And then second, flee to Christ. One, endure to the end. Two, flee to Christ, which is verse 14 to 23. Okay, so looking first, and um, endure to the end. He begins to answer his questions. Where is he going to start? Right, they ask two questions. Is he going to start with the timeline? Any graphs and pictures? No, what does he start with? Look, look at verse five. He says, many will come in my name saying, I am he, and they will lead many astray. Can believers be led astray? Absolutely. He's warning them, be careful that you're not led astray. He's talking about false messiahs, right? Um, We're going to pick this back up. He picks this up later in the passage, okay? So hold that, set that aside. So he's going to address that more. Then look, the passage goes on. It says, and when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed this must take place, but the end is not yet. All right, these are, these, he's going to give a series of like if-then statements, except he's going to say when and then do something. Okay, so he says, when this happens, when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, what are you supposed to do? Do not be alarmed. Okay? Wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is not yet. How many wars have there been over the past 2,000 years? A ton of them, right? And so should they, and see, let's get some context. In 64 AD, you might have heard a guy named Nero. Anyone heard of Nero? Evil, wicked leader. He was burning Christians. He was feeding them to the lions. I mean, if you were a, a Jew living then, wouldn't you think Jesus has got to be coming soon? Like, this is just horrific. This, it couldn't get any worse than this, right? And so Jesus is preparing him. He says, when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, The end is not yet. And look, he keeps going. He says, nation will rise, verse eight. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. Okay, so you're gonna have wars, nations, warring against each other, earthquakes, famines. But what does it say? These are but the beginning of the birth pains. If I can speak to all the mothers for a second, um, I'm sure you've heard of the term Braxton Hicks contractions. 
right? It's called false labor. And some of you probably experienced that. You might have ended up in the hospital and said, I'm ready to have this baby. The doctor said, no, you aren't. Go home, right? Because it was false labor. It, it, felt, it felt like it, but it wasn't yet. This is what Jesus is saying. He's saying, this is just the beginning of the birth pains. So when Putin invades Ukraine, should we all run outside and look for Jesus in the clouds? Well, no, there have been wars and rumors of wars for 2,000 years. It, this, is, this is what's describing these last days. Well, that's an interesting term. Have you heard of last days? Scripture speaks of this. What does it mean? The end of the age? Now, many of you, there's a ton of books written on this. What do they mean when they say that? They mean... Well, it's that it's going to come like next week, right? And in like in six months, they, they do, they've done all the math, right? How does scripture use the word last days? Have you ever thought about that? It uses it many times. What does it use it to describe? Let me give you some examples. Hebrews 1, 2, in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. That was 2,000 years ago. Hebrews 9, 26, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages, to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. He's talking about the crucifixion. You see, scripture actually talks about last days to talk about what's called the inter-advent period. The period from the first coming, way over here, to the second coming. The whole period. We've been in the last days for a long time. It's not about the quantity of days. It's the quality of them. What will the last days be like? There's going to be lots of suffering. There'll be wars and rumors of wars and earthquakes and tsunamis. I mean, how many natural disasters have we had just in our lifetime, right? They have been through the past and they will continue. You see, he's describing, he's preparing them for what to expect. Last year, about this time, I ran my first 5K of my life. I survived, but it was was an out and back race. It was over in Nexton. So you run out, you turn around, you come back right? It's very predictable. You know how far you've been and you know where the finish line. Imagine if I was coming toward the finish line, someone told me, no, no, you're just halfway there. You got another lap to go. That would have not been pretty, right? It's not, you don't want to be, you think you're near the finish line. You think you're seeing, I think I see the finish line there. And no, no, it's much, much farther. Jesus is setting their expectations. This is around 30 AD. They have a lot to go, Most of them will die not seeing Jesus. All of them will die before they see Jesus come back. Some will die even before the temple is destroyed in 70 AD. He's setting their expectations. There is much suffering to come and you need to be ready. And don't get your hopes up every time you see a war, you have an earthquake. Or You see, one thing about this sermon is I could not sell a book on this, right? You sell books on things that sound exciting. You have to come up with equations, This is for our encouragement for those who suffer deeply. If that's a new idea to you, jot down these verses. Acts 2 of of end times, actually just referring to the whole period between the first and second coming. Um, Acts 2.17, 1 Corinthians 10.11, 1 Peter 1.19-21. All those verses use it in that way. It just last days just refers to this whole inter-advent period. Okay, so the next big thing to come is going to be the second coming. And oh, what season is this? This is Advent. What's Advent? We're talking about the coming, right? And so this is a perfect passage. God ordained this. We'll be doing this during Advent. We will next week too. So as we wait on Christ, remembering Christ's coming, December 25th, 
right, when he was born as a baby, we're also waiting for second coming. That's what this passage is all about. Jesus is coming back. We don't know when it's going to be. There's going to be lots of suffering. But we should, we should um, be ready for a long race. We should be ready for a long race. So Jesus has started to answer their questions. When you see wars and rumors of wars, natural disasters, do not be led astray. Do not be alarmed. The end is not yet. There's this great passage in Hebrews 12 that I love. It says, let us, it's talking about racing. Okay, so we're gonna use this metaphor of racing a lot today. I don't know why it's on my mind, but it, it's fitting. Let us lay aside every weight and sin that clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. If you are ever suffering severely, if you are right now, or you have in the past, or you will in the future, look to Christ. Fix your eyes on Christ. It is, it brings great, great comfort. The passage goes on to say, so that you may not grow weary and faint-hearted. Fix your eyes on Jesus, for the joy set before him endured the cross. You may not grow weary and faint-hearted. Brothers and sisters, this is not an escape room. This is not a puzzle to solve. This is great comfort for those who suffer. This is great comfort for those who suffer. Jesus is trying to set our expectations. Look at verse nine back in our passage. He says, but be on your guard for they will deliver you over to councils and you'll be beaten in synagogues. That doesn't sound like much fun. You'll stand before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them. Ouch. Don't you think the disciples had these verses rolling through their heads? I mean, you read the book of Acts. I mean, how many times did this happen? They were drugged into court. They were beaten over and over and over again. I had a verse I was going to read to you, but it's too long. Paul speaks of all the times he's beaten with rods and shipwrecked and all the whips and just all the crazy things. This was the experience. And Jesus was getting him ready. He was getting him ready. He said, this is what is to come. It's going to be hard. It's going to be really hard. Look at verse 10. Oh, this is an interesting verse. What do you think of this? And the gospel must be proclaimed to all nations. What does he mean by that? I mean, remember at this point, the gospel's not really left Israel, right? It's, been, it's very, very small. He's saying that the gospel is going to go to the whole world. Well, aren't we? We're, I mean, think about how many miles are we from Israel, from Jerusalem. We're a long way. The gospel's made it all the way to here, and we have gathered to worship on this Lord's Day because the gospel's made it this far. Now, some read this verse and say, you know what? Jesus can't come back yet. You know why? Because every African tribe, every language and people group do not have the gospel yet. Now, that is really good motivation for witnessing, but that's not actually what he means here. Here's why. When the Bible talks in this way, it's not meaning that literally that every single person will hear the gospel. Rather, the gospel is going to go to all peoples around the world. Hasn't that happened in the past 2,000 years? The gospel has gone all around the world. That's not my idea. Listen to this verse from Colossians. Okay, Colossians 1.23. This is Paul. He says, The hope of the gospel that you heard, which, listen to this, has been proclaimed to all creation under heaven. All creation under heaven, Paul? Really? All creation. What they're saying is, is that it's going out everywhere. And so scripture speaks in this way, that the gospel is going to go out to the four corners of the world, which it has. 
The other problem with that interpretation of saying Jesus can't come back until everyone hears is Jesus is then kept captive in heaven until we finish. Could Jesus come back now? No, he can't come back now because we have some more boxes to check. But that doesn't fit with the New Testament teaching. What does Jesus say about the second coming? He says, it could, I come like a thief in the night. I come at any point. Doesn't he say that? He, he can't then. If, we're, if we have this checklist, we need to finish. What he's saying is the gospel will go everywhere, which it has. Jesus could come back at any time. But ironically, some of my neighbors have never heard the gospel. Right here in Cane Bay. How about your neighbors? Do they all know the gospel? Some of them don't realize that they are under the wrath of God. This is the good news of the gospel. That doesn't sound like good news, does it, kids? But the rest of it is, right? Because though you are under the wrath of God, Jesus died in your place. You don't have to experience the wrath of God. If you would just let him be your Lord and Savior, there's the good news, right? Do your neighbors know that? Do your neighbors know that they cannot be saved by being a good person? That's the reason we need to tell them. Not because we need to check some box so Jesus can come back. Because we love those people that live next door to us. They need Jesus. They don't need to clean up their lives to come to Jesus. They come empty-handed just like you and I did. But do you, do you ever feel like you don't know what to say? Look at verse 11. This verse has brought me great, great comfort. I quote it often. Verse 11. And when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand what you are to say. But say whatever is given you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but who? But the Holy Spirit. You see, the Holy Spirit, one of his jobs is helping you talk to your neighbors. He also helps you if you ever get drugged into court and you have to give a defense for the gospel. But he also helps with every other thing. This verse has brought me great comfort. I often don't know what to say. Sometimes I don't know what to say to you, and so I pray. Holy Spirit, give me words. This is a great, great promise that we have here. What are they going to think of us? What will your neighbors think of you if you told them? Look at verse 13. And you'll be hated by all for my name's sake. What a deal. You'll be hated by all. How many people hate you? How many people hate you? Not just because you've been mean to them. Hate you because of the sake of Christ. Because you told them about Jesus and they aren't happy. You call them to account for their sins and they hate you. We should. There should be people. There are people who hate me because of that. If we're faithful to the gospel, it will happen. People hate it because we told them about Christ. He's setting their expectations, isn't he? As we read from the Hebrews verse, let us run with endurance the race marked out for us. And look at that last line of 13. It says, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. This has brought me great comfort even this very week. The one who endures to the end will be saved. He's saying, if you've, ever, if you've ever had to help someone running, don't, don't give up. Keep going. You got it. You got this. Keep going. Right? That's what he's saying. Endure. Endure, Christian. If you are suffering, endure. And to the end. Now, you might read this, and this actually sounds scary. You're like, oh, great. If I don't endure to the end, I'm going to hell. That doesn't sound very good. Well, let me give you a little context for that. Um, all you parents, you hold your kids' hands when they walk across the street. Their life depends on getting across that street. Right? If you left them in the middle, they're going to run over, right? So does their salvation depend on them getting across the street? Yes. But the reality is, I've used this analogy before, you're gripping their hand. 
<laughs> right? You're going to guarantee they get across the street because you're going to drag them if you must. So they're going to run over by the truck. Right, moms? Isn't that what you do? And so it is with Christ. He says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Yes, you must endure to the end, but it is him who is holding your hand who will literally drag you across the street if he must. Don't take my word for it. Scripture says this over and over. And over again, John 6, 39. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. He will not lose one of you. Philippians 1, 6 says, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. There's many other verses. I don't have time. I had one for Romans 8 that I had to cut out. There's tons of them. Jesus will enable you to endure. You must keep running. You are not to the finish line yet. No matter how old you are, you're not to the finish line yet. But he will get you there. You need to endure. This is the message of this first half of the passage. Look at the last piece. Second half, flee to Christ. So now we get to this abomination of desolation. Now, where'd that come from? You're going to see a shift. Remember before it said, when you see wars and rumors of wars, it's not, the time's not yet. Now he says, look what he says. He says, when you see the abomination of desolation, and I'll explain that in a second, let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Well, that's different, isn't it? Now he's saying, when you see this sign, run for the hills, very literally, run for the hills. All right, abomination of desolation. This comes from Daniel. Daniel chapter 11, verse 31. He uses that very term. Any Jewish reader who reads this, that's why he says, let the reader understand. So he's saying, let the reader of Daniel understand. Right, if you know your Old Testament, you know exactly. When Daniel used that, abomination of desolation, he's talking about the first destruction of Israel. This was fulfilled in 168 AD. That prophecy that Daniel gave about when you see this, by um, Antiochus Epiphanes, 168 AD, he offered a pig in the temple. Uh, the Jews didn't like that much. That was the abomination of desolation. So a Jewish reader of the gospel says, okay, what is the sign that I know that the temple is going to be absolutely destroyed? Abomination of desolation. Immediately they, they're thinking, okay, when someone is defiling the temple, I know that this is that sign, okay? And then what are you supposed to do? Read the rest of the verse. Run for the hills. How fast should you run for the hills? Look at 15 and 16. Let the one who's on the housetop not go down, nor enter the house. This is like on the airplane, right? Don't go. If, if we crash, leave your bags. Isn't that what they say? Don't go back for your bags. Fire drill, kids. What do they say in the fire drill? Never go back in the house for anything, right? That's exactly what Jesus is saying. You need to run and not take anything with you. Run for your lives. That's what 15 and 16 say. If you're in the field, don't go back for your cloak. This means, this, and it did mean this. In 70 AD, it meant the difference between life and death. If they didn't follow, many Christians listened to this instruction. When they saw Titus, I'm going to tell you about him in a second, defiling the temple, they said, oh, I remember this. We better get out of here fast. And they did, and they, they lived. I'll tell you about what happened to everyone else in a second. Verse 17 to 20. And alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, Pray that it may not happen in winter. For in those days there will be such tribulation as has not been from the beginning of creation that God created until now and never will be. If the Lord had not cut short the days, no human being would have been saved. For the sake of the elect whom he chose, he shortened the days. Okay, now you're probably saying, okay, well, 
This can't be talking about the destruction of Jerusalem because of verse 19, right? It said the worst tribulation ever. Well, two things you need to know. One is you should actually read the accounts. Josephus gives an account. Don't read it right before or after you eat. Um, I read this in seminary and it turned my stomach. It's the only thing I read in seminary that did. It is the most gruesome. I mean, we have, we have young children here and so I won't give you many details, um, but it is awful. If you have any question about verse 19, just go read Josephus. What happened was, this is the high level view. Uh, in 70 AD, the um, Jews rebelled against the Romans. Titus came in of the Romans and laid siege on Jerusalem. Before that, he went in the temple and they said, oh, the Christians said, we better get out of here. And so they all run for the hills. He shuts, he locks off the city. He puts it under siege. And um, everyone inside, like a million Jews, Jerusalem is not that big. A million Jews pack into, into Jerusalem, inside the walls for safety. And they all die. There was, it was just a massacre. There was no mercy. The ones that didn't starve to death before were just bloodily killed. It was awful. So read about that and you'll see verse 19. Uh, it's not too much of an exaggeration. Jesus was warning them because he did not want the Christians to have to endure that. And many didn't. And many didn't. Look at the, the following verses, verse 21. It says, and then if anyone says to you, look, here's the Christ. So remember I said that before? False prophets, right? Or false messiahs. Look, here he is. Do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray if possible the elect. But be on your guard, I've told you all things beforehand. This happened, again, Josephus. In the first century, many insurrectionists claimed that they had special callings from God. Right after this, in uh, 130 AD, there's a guy named Bar Kakbo, and he claimed to be the Messiah. This is very typical. And if you know your history, this has continued to happen, right? All through history, guys claim to be the Messiah. And Jesus says, don't believe it. Don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. Now, 70 AD was a long time ago. You don't really need warnings anymore to flee for the hills. How in the world do you apply these verses? How do you apply these verses? I think one way is to understand that Jesus really wants you to escape suffering. But you say, but why do you say I'm going to be hated by everyone? That doesn't sound like escaping suffering. We are not above our teacher. He suffered and we will suffer. But there's another way. Remember that guy Noah? There's another door that was shut, right? When Titus shut the doors of Jerusalem, there's also an ark that was shut, right? And so he warned his neighbors and said, hey, come in here for safety. No one listened. Many didn't listen. A million Jews went into Jerusalem and didn't know about this. And they were not saved. The doors are still open to the kingdom today. Did you know that? The ark is closed and and everyone got flooded. Jerusalem got closed and a million died. But the doors of the kingdom are still open. So if he's not your Lord and Savior, I plead with you, today would be the perfect day. Don't go back into the house. You do not need to leave this room to make this decision. You don't need to go get your affairs in order. If you do not know for certain that you are going to heaven when you die, you should get that right before you leave today. We do not know when the door is shut. He could come back later this afternoon. You could die when you walk out of here. There is no time like the present. That is one application of this. What is the warning of this? It is a warning. There is coming judgment. It's not from 70 AD. It is the second coming. It is your own death and you will face judgment. And so I ask you, please 
take me seriously. Don't take me seriously. Take this seriously. These warnings of Jesus really apply. There's another piece. As we conclude, remember, this is not an escape room puzzle to solve. Jesus is setting your expectations. You will suffer. I have suffered and I will suffer more. And so will you. Do not despair, but be prepared for suffering. How do you prepare? You realize it's real. You realize that there is, this is not your home and there is something to come. You take the risk to actually be hated by someone. If no one hates you anywhere because of Christ, there's something wrong. And this passage says that. You will be hated by all. And so I'm like that guy in the middle of the race, you know, with a little tiny kid's cup of water that says, keep going. You're not there yet. Here's some water. Keep running. Keep running. Keep running. That's my message to you today. Keep running. We close with the words I read before from Hebrews chapter 12. It says this, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, so that you may not grow weary. Brothers and sisters, if you are weary, if you are faint-hearted, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. Let's pray. Jesus, I cannot see you, not with my eyes, but I see you with my heart. I know in my soul that this is true, and I pray that they may too. That you are honest and true, and you are trustworthy. Lord, we know right now we're in a time of peace and things look okay for us. It's odd time in America, but I'm not fearful of being arrested today. But we know things could change quickly. So Lord, I pray that you'd prepare their hearts even now, and particularly the children who are more likely to experience than any of the adults, that in their age, things may get worse, and eventually they certainly will, as they have through all of history. Lord, help this passage sink into all of our hearts and set our expectations. May we be prepared to suffer and suffer well, that we would endure to the end. Thank you for holding my hand, Jesus. Thank you for holding my hand, Jesus. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ, amen.